Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today we're joined by Alexis McGrigg, a visual artist based in Jackson, Mississippi. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you. <laughs> How's your day going so far? It's going pretty well. It's, it's a beautiful day outside and I feel great. So it's going awesome. On. Well, we're so glad that you're here today. Um, I got to visit your studio a couple of months ago while you're, you were preparing for a show, so I'm excited for our listeners to know more about your work and your practice. Yes. So let's uh, start from the beginning. Let, let us know just where you're from and what's your connection to Mississippi. Okay, well, I am originally from Utica, Mississippi. Um, I spent a little bit of my childhood there before moving to Nebraska and back when I was about 12. Um, but I've spent most of, I spent most of my formidable years and teenage years here in Mississippi. Uh, my family is from here. Um, my grandmother, my, my whole family really, and all of her, um, all of her relatives are from here. So Mississippi is home for me and that's how I found my way here. <laughs> More about me, really. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So did you attend school here and in Nebraska then as a child? Yeah, well, no. So um, we moved away from Mississippi when I was about six months old. And we lived in Nebraska until I was, a t uh, until I was about 12. So um, after that, we came back here and spent the rest of our time here. And we've been here ever since. Did, do you have many memories of Nebraska? I do. Um, I spent, you know, the majority of the of my childhood there. So all of my memories, when I think about like um, art making and what influenced me, began there. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I have lots and lots of memories of Nebraska. So did you did you know you're an artist? As a young child, when did you kind of realize that that was going to be your path? I don't think I really knew that it was going to be my path until sometime when I was maybe in high school. But as a child, and this is a story that my mom tells everyone, you know, how parents have their stories that they tell about their children. She would tell people that um, as a child, whenever I would go anywhere, I would take a coloring book and a box like a little smacker's box of crayons. And if I could not take it, I would just like lose my mind. I'd have a little tantrum because I needed to take it everywhere. But I think that sort of started my interest in like arts and crafts and things. So I kind of progressed from crayons and markers to yarn and paper and you know construction paper and making things with my hands. And drawing and things like that and then eventually 
uh, as I got into high school, the opportunity for me to go to the Mississippi School of the Arts came about. And I'd never thought, oh, I can be an artist. That can be a career. I don't think I ever realized that until I went to that school. Um, so that's where that began. So you, you went there at the age of right when you got back at the age of 12 or later in high school? I think I was 15. That's great. I was 15 when I started going there. So it was 11th grade, probably 15 going on 16. So it was an 11th grade when I started going to that school. What was the experience like for you at the Mississippi School for the Arts? And that's in Brookhaven, correct? Just so yes, people it is in Brookhaven. Um, I really couldn't, I couldn't put a price on that experience. The way I describe it to people is if, you have, if you've ever seen the movie Fame, where the students, you know, they're in the, in the cafeteria and they're dancing, there's music and, you know, people are acting and they're, they're making stuff. That's how it was. It literally was like that every day when we would um, be on break or come down from our, because it was a, it was a boarding school. We lived there on campus. When we would come down on break or go for lunch, literally you had people in the corner rehearsing monologues. You had people singing, rehearsing songs in the back of the cafeteria. You had people dancing in front of the TV. <laughs> it was just some of everything. You had some people outside drawing, trying to work on a drawing that might be due. You know, it was it was all around all the time. Um, so it was a really priceless experience for me and I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's great to hear. It's just such a well-known and well-respected school. So that's really great that you had that experience. Um, how was boarding school for you? <laughs> that was interesting. It took it took a little time um, getting used to, but really being there was like having a family away from home because you're surrounded by your classmates all day long. Um, you live with them, you eat with them, you sleep with them, um, you do your homework with them. You spend your free time with them. Um, and in addition to that, you had the, the faculty and staff that worked there. So it was really like a big community. So even though you were away from home, there was there was some sense of home in being there because of the, I guess, community type of feeling that was there. So that's great. They made it you, pretty easy. Yeah. Do you still keep up with some of your classmates and teachers? I do. That's great. I actually gained the best friends that I have. I'm still best friends with now. Um, and then, you know, students that were maybe in a younger grade than I was in. So when I was a senior, the juniors, I still speak with a lot of them. And, you know, I have contact with some of the students who were after, who, you know, attended the school after I left and then also some of the alumni that were before. So I still maintain some relationships with people that I met while I was there. Is there a lot of those students that um, move away from Mississippi or do a lot of them stay? Is it a mix? From my perspective, um, a lot of the students move away. Um, like, for example, the students that were in my graduating class, I can probably only think of 
maybe a handful of them that are still here in Mississippi. And I don't have contact with everyone, but just thinking about, you know, on social media, there's only a handful of us, maybe two handfuls of us that are still here out of a class of, you know, the graduating class was 50, but the initial class of all students, 11th and 12th grade, when I was there was about 200. Wow. So out of those 200 students, again, only about two handfuls I know that are still here. Okay. So the school, so it is, it's 11th, it's for 11th and 12th graders. Only. Yeah. Is that, okay. So yeah. what, what was the process of, of um, just in case anyone out there that's listening, what's the process of getting into that school? So um, the process is submitting an application um, that includes an essay and uh, well, it has some essay questions on there and it asks, you know, about your um, your GPA and uh, you have to submit a portfolio. And once you submit the application and the essay or letter of interest with your portfolio, this is specifically pertaining to the visual arts. Um, so for other disciplines like theater or vocal music, instead of a portfolio, they would submit, you know, a video of their performance or something like that. Um, but once you submit the application with the portfolio, that's the first first stage where they will review the application and portfolio and then let you know if you're able to go on to the second stage. And the second stage is an interview process. And um, the interview consists of you go there and you, um, I, I don't want to call it a test. It's more like a, where they're kind of gauging your aptitude, specifically in visual arts, they give you about four prompt questions. Um, three of the questions are, are written, where you have to respond to a question that asks something about, um, you know, a, 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 a visual artist or a form of art, and they're wanting to know your knowledge of those things. The fourth question gives you a prompt that then you have to create a drawing or painting based on that prompt. And then they review that on site. And if you make it past that portion, then you actually have the interview with the director and other faculty where they ask you, you know, about yourself and your knowledge of the arts and et cetera, et cetera. And then you eventually, after that, you find out whether you are going to be accepted or not. Um, for me, they told me on site because the process had been, um, uh, they had extended the application process at that time. But um, usually they'll send you a letter in the mail. It's kind of like getting a letter from college. You're like waiting, okay, the letter's here. I don't know if I've, if I've done it or not. So you open the letter and it says, congratulations, or, you know, we're sorry. So that's how it goes. That's amazing. That's that's mm -hmm. got to be great preparation for college. It was like yeah. de definitely, <laughs> and I bet nerve wracking at that age too. It was. It was. You uh, you you were just kind of unsure, you know, because it, it's a lot of work, um, especially for visual artists. You have to submit like twelve to fifteen paintings and drawings. That's a lot for yeah. for, for someone who you know is they're not even sure they're gonna, going to be an artist. They just know they have interest in it. So right. um, it really it really shows your commitment 
mm-hmm. to whatever discipline it is that you're you're interested in applying for. But at the same time, it's excellent experience for what you're essentially going to have to do when you get to college. So mm-hmm. that's, that's awesome. Preparation. And and those paintings that you submitted, had that been through schoolwork? Did you have a, a strong art program at your school or were you doing these on your own? So there was no art program at wow. my no access to the arts whatsoever um, when when we moved here, back here to Mississippi. So the work that I made specifically for that, I, I all the paintings and drawings I made at that time for the application um, over a period of weeks for the application. This is Sarah Story, the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story, the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today we're joined by Alexis McGrick, a visual artist based in Jackson, Mississippi. Thank you for being here, Alexis. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So the first segment, we talked a little bit about your background growing up in Mississippi and in Nebraska, and then your experience at the School of the Arts in Mississippi. So I'd love to hear what happened after that. So after finishing at the Mississippi School of the Arts, I um, attended Mississippi State University. And the funny thing is that initially I was not going to study art, even though I had developed this love for it while at the Mississippi School of the Arts. I I don't know. I think I was afraid. But anyway, I was going to study engineering. <laughs> On wow. the first day of school, I changed my major and I changed my Amazing. major to graphic design. Um, which I studied for about two years. And I wasn't really happy doing that while I enjoyed it. I wasn't completely, I don't know, something was off. Something was missing and lacking. And um, I think it was after those two years, I realized I need to change my major to painting. Doesn't matter how afraid I am. It doesn't matter, you know, what I think my future might be like trying to be a painter, but this is what I need to do. So I changed my major to painting and I have not looked back. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your years at, at MSU in the painting department. Did you have um, good, good teachers, good community? What was that program like? Yes. So Mississippi State's art department is really kind of a hidden gem. Um, a lot of times students think, oh, I need to go out of state. I need to go to one of these really fancy fine art schools. But really, it doesn't matter what school you go to, you make the experience. Um, so Mississippi State, I had several really great faculty. Um, 
I had Alex Bostic, um, who teaches drawing and illustration. I had Brent Funderburk, who teaches watercolor. Um, and then I also had Jeffrey Hopped. I had um, Nago Suni. Um, and all of those faculty really shaped how I was able to uh, hone my skills at that time, especially uh, Mr. Bostic. He is the professor that taught me mo a lot of the skills that I learned in oil painting. And then Brent Funderburk, he really influenced my understanding of water media. Um, so Starkville is a small college town, but there's a lot to learn at that school. So the the whatever department uh you choose whatever school you choose is what you make of it so i had a great time there <laughs> that's great so you did you end up with a, a bfa in painting yes i got a bfa in painting um and then eventually went on to grad school for an mfa in painting did you immediately go to to graduate school right after undergrad or did you take no. a break? I so I was planning to go to graduate school um, and I, I applied to about five different programs and I got rejected from all five. <laughs> Not one single yes. And I was so devastated. I thought and I actually had one faculty tell me that I was never going to get into grad school and that that really kind of. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought, you know what, I give up. I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna do it. Wow. Yeah. It broke me. It broke my dream. Of course, yeah. So I, I I gave up. I and so I stopped painting for about two years. Um and at some point it came back, you know, saying you know <laughs> I felt like it was what God wanted me to do. It came yeah. back that, you know, you can't this is what you you're supposed to be painting. You are a painter. How are you going to deny what what the gift that you have? How are you going to not do that? So I said, okay, I give up what I want to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to apply again. I'm going to try again because my application, my portfolios when I was in undergrad, they were weak. I, looking back, I I recognized they were they they had some issues. <laughs> so I gave it another try, and I was successful. Great um, on that second try. And so what, what MFA program did you end up attending? I ended up going to Texas, Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. Um, and they had a school of fine art there. Um, and the really great thing, the really great thing that really got me um, about that program, it was a very vigorous program. And um, they offer graduate students free tuition. Oh, that's great. If you're, you know, if you're accepted, yeah. And I thought, oh, <laughs> can't go wrong there, you know. <laughs> program and you're gonna give free tuition. That's that's the one. That's where I'm going. I had, you know, I had applied to other schools too and had the opportunity to go there, but this was the best one. Um, so that's where I went. That's <laughs> awesome. And how many years was that program? That program was three years. Okay. Yeah, that is. That's intense. Mm-hmm. So what, so you, you go to grad school, is, is that a time where you honed in your artistic practice 
um, has it changed a lot since then? What's been your journey from grad school to, to now? <clears throat> I think grad school is really where I, I kind of zeroed in on my conceptual ideas. Um, that school in particular really allowed me to experiment with mediums and especially ideas. They were very open and honest and transparent about all that we were doing. Um, so while I was working through the different mediums that I use, you know, I, I started in that program doing oil paintings. Um, but, you know, at some point I realized, you know, this isn't, this isn't working for the ideas that I'm trying to convey. So I remember one painting class where my professor <clears throat> said, you know what, stop putting all these limitations on yourself. You don't have to be an oil painter if that's not what, that's not what's leading you right now. So I challenge you to make a terrible painting. And I was, I was so confused. What do you mean? What do you mean make a terrible painting? We're supposed to be striving to make <laughs> wonderful work. But he, he did that to kind of help me break out of this box that I had in my head of what I had to do. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't have to have any restrictions on our, on yourself. You're putting these restrictions on yourself. So go to your studio, make what you consider a bad painting. Just make it, do whatever, make it. And once you do that, then find out what is it that is leading you? Cause you know, just eliminate this requirement for oral painting. Use other materials, experiment, and find out what, what you need to do next. And it did. Um, it led me first to drawing, back to wow. the foundation of drawing. Yeah. Um, where I started doing a lot of charcoal por portraits. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started doing charcoal portraits and assemblages. And then I started doing um, paintings with charcoal. And then you know, paintings with charcoal and portraits, and then paintings with charcoal and portraits and words. And, you know, they just kept progressing um, as I kept experimenting with the medium. But in the, at the same time as I was experimenting with the medium, my conceptual ideas started to flourish. So. That's awesome. That's a great, that's great advice for anyone that that hits a roadblock or mm -hmm. is, is trying to figure out their next body of work. Yeah. Make a bad painting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will I like it. <laughs> so what, what materials or techniques are important to your practice now? Um, so I use water-based media and specifically I use um, fabric dyes. Um, and I also incorporate a little bit of acrylics and um, um, like mica powders, which are like little gold or silvery sort of powders. Um, <clears throat> and, and then also charcoal. Charcoal is like the number one medium that's like consistent in all of my work. Um, so those are those are the mediums that are that are like the foundation of my work right now and how how would you describe your work if, if someone 
you say, you know, I'm an artist and they say, well, what type of art do you make? How do you make that initial introduction to your work? I usually say um, it's figurative abstraction or abstract figurism, um, mainly because most of my work uh, incorporates these sort of ambiguous figures like in these large color fields um and so when i say figurative abstraction or abstract figurism that pretty much gives them an idea of the kind of imagery um loosely <laughs> yeah absolutely so what so you mentioned that you started uh discovering your conceptual ideas the grounding concepts behind your work in grad school what can mm -hmm. you describe those a little bit to our our listeners and and maybe how they've they've changed yes so um while in grad school i first uh the first the beginning of my conceptual ideas started with me trying to do sort of a sort of some digging on like ancestral stories um and, and ancestral history thinking about black people in general um but because before that i was thinking i was still talking about black people but i was referring referencing um stereotypes so eventually i moved away from that and started thinking about how can i really think about the narrative of black people just generally and which that led me to start um starting to think about um my African heritage and um, thinking about the narrative that comes along with that. So um, the history of Black people in the U.S. was that our our history had been erased. Our culture had been erased. Our knowledge of um, any anything from continental Africa was pretty much taken away. So I started creating a narrative of who would we be as a people, if Western civilization never happened, what 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 would we be like? How would we exist? Um, so that's where I began. And then I eventually branched from thinking about <clears throat> ancestral lineage and then started thinking about a collective, Black people as a collective. But even more than Black people as a collective, this idea of Blackness. So the idea of blackness based specifically on the black body. Okay, okay, so now we're here at the black body. What am I, what am I creating? I started doing more paintings with, uh, uh, paintings or portraits of black figures that were in a field of black, the color itself, examining the color itself and the figure. And then once I progressed from that, I started thinking about blackness as a larger, intangible idea now it's this larger thing that's just bigger it's bigger than people it's bigger than our bodies it's bigger than the idea of black people or the idea of black bodies or the idea of blackness how we exist um so when i came to the idea of blackness i think that's when the the world opened up <laughs> it, it opened up because i was able to examine it in so many different ways here i can talk about it as color. Here I can talk about its relationship to the body. And then I, you know, I started thinking about it as a space or an opening or a void or a cylinder of time. And it just kind of like 
it kind of blossomed from there. Um, and so that idea of blackness led me to where I am right now, still talking about blackness as a spatial entity and how black bodies move through space, how we live, how we exist, and how that is a metaphor for celestial space. So it's been kind of like a developing thing, but it all began at that term, blackness. This is Sarah Story, the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on NPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today I'm talking with Alexis McGrigg, a visual artist based in Jackson, Mississippi. Thanks again for being here, Alexis. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, before the break, we're discussing your most current body of work, what you're thinking through, your conceptual ideas. And I'd love for I'd love to learn a little bit more about it. So one question I had as you were as you were thinking about your ancestral stories and and the history of black people, did you do any of your own ancestral work or research? I didn't. Um and I always said I was going to. <laughs> I'm going to take one of those, you know, ancestry DNA tests. At the time, the only the only test that existed was the ancestry ancestry.com mm-hmm. test, I think, which from some of the um results or that I've seen or people that have said they've taken the test, it's not as specific to like tribes or anything like that it really just tells you like a region Mm -hmm. um like for me it's probably just guessing a large part of west africa but that's not very specific (laughs) um so i think once i was closer towards graduation once i was closer towards graduation i learned about another test called african ancestry but at that point i was no longer you know, talking about ancestral lineage, so I never took it. So no, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> um, but even even still, in the narrative, I wasn't referencing like a specific country um, because that was a part of it. Like that was a part of the story because I don't know because it was taken right. away. <clears throat> so it's like because this history has been taken away, now I have to create my own. 
Now I have to take authorship of it. Now I have to tell you what our story could have been. So that's how that went. That's really beautiful. So, and tell us a little bit more about, I know you're working on a body of work um, this past year at the at the Anne Gallery space. Did you, did, did you change direction during COVID? How did, how did COVID affect your work or did it? COVID itself didn't really affect my work. You know, it may have affected the, the space I was working in, but it didn't affect my ideas uh, to any degree. Uh, you, maybe in part the way that I was thinking or, you know, working through my ideas because, the, you know, everything was so still. So I think um, at some point I was thinking very internally, like for example, the two works that I created that were in the Christie's exhibition, I was very, while the works were still related to this, these conceptual ideas of blackness, I was very internally thinking even more personally about the work. Um, so in addition to thinking about blackness, I was also thinking about masculinity and femi femininity um, and that can be seen in the works and, and that those two works specifically, um, are the first works where there was a woman. Cause I hardly ever paint women. I think there might be one other painting that I painted a woman and that was back in 2015, but it made me think more about myself in relationship to this idea of blackness. Um, so COVID didn't affect my thinking, but it didn't affect my ideas, but it did affect the way I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, so what's going on since grad school? So you've, you've had, you mentioned the Christie show. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on with your career now? Yes. Um, so a lot has happened, especially, you know, in the past year. You would think in a pandemic, everything is slowed down. Well, everything sped up for me. Well, congrats. <laughs> That's exciting to hear. <laughs> so since graduate school, um, I had had maybe one or two exhibitions um, and then a couple other opportunities arose. And ever since, ever since the Christie's exhibition, exhibitions have been like coming back to back to back, it seems. Um, so I've, I had some virtual works featured with the Lauren Rogers Museum exhibition, Seeking 2020. Um, I, I've had work in a group exhibition at Richard Beaver's Gallery um, in New York back in December. And that exhibition provided me the opportunity to be represented then. I was offered the opportunity to be represented by Richard Beaver's Gallery in New York, which I am now. <laughs> Congrats, that's awesome. And um, this month, actually, there they, I have a work that is um, featured at the uh, Sika Museum in South Korea. Wow. I am about to have a solo exhibition at Richard Beaver's Gallery uh, opening on May 8th. I have a couple works that will be shown with Almin Raish Gallery, one in New York and one in, Den not Denver, it's Aspen, Colorado. Um, and then also more work at the Lauren Rogers Museum for their upcoming photo exhibition that will open in July. Oh, and great. Then, um, 
And then a couple works that will be in the Mississippi Museum of Art Invitational. So everything oh, is good. going, going, and it's great. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, congrats. That's just yeah. really exciting to hear. And um, so that, so Lauren Rogers and Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. And of course, Lauren Rogers is in Laurel, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about those exhibitions and maybe the date so that our listeners can go see your work in person? The Lauren Rogers exhibition opens July 27th, I believe. And the Museum of Art exhibition opens in August. I don't remember the exact date. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. They can, they can look it up. But that's just great to know that there's going to be an opportunity to see more of your work. So are you busy creating for these shows in particular? Are you able to think through new ideas yet? Where are you right now today? Right now I'm still, um, so I'm, I actually just finished up the works um, for the solo exhibition at Richard Beavers in May and um, working on works for the Lauren Rogers photo exhibition um, in July. Uh, and once I once I finish those, I think I can kind of venture into even further ideas from what I'm working on right now, which is where I'm talking about an idea called the ether. But um, I don't think that the idea at this time will change, but um, I've been experimenting with new ways to apply the mediums that I use. So I think that's what will um, kind of shift in the near future. That's exciting. What are some of your influences? Do you look at art? Do you read? What? Where do you get ideas and concepts from? So I do look at artists. Some of some of my artist influences are Sam Gilliam, my favorite. I do want to meet him one day. <laughs> Me too. Um, a Mississippi artist too. Yes. Um, Mark Rothko, um, Eve Klein, um, Torquoise Dyson, um, Radcliffe Bailey. Um, I love Kara Walker. Yeah, those are just a few artists. I I tend to watch a lot of dance, which is which is I'm I'm not sure why, but it it has always had some influence. Maybe it's the movement. When I mm -hmm. see man, I see some sort of relationship to these figures that I'm creating that are moving through space. Um, but the work of T. Lang dance in Atlanta, Georgia has always mm -hmm. had a huge impact on um, the ways that I think about movement itself. Um, I read poetry from time to time that um, influences my work. Um, I'm currently reading a book. I don't even know why I can't think of the, the name of the book. Well, I'm currently reading a book that talks about um, how when our relatives, there's a there's a bridge between our relatives that are dying and the children that are being born. So the mm -hmm. relatives that are dying have the knowledge of what it's like to live here on earth. And the children that are being born are bringing messages from the other side. And they, the the elders and the newborns, spend time together sharing the messages. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and then the elderly pass on into the next world, and it's kind of like a cyclical thing. Mm -hmm. 
So I've been reading that because I feel like there's a, a strong relationship to my work with that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I, I read, I, I read books, I read poetry, I look at artists. Um, I also listen to, I guess you can call it music, it's music, um, but a lot of it has sort of like spatial celestial sounds to it. Um, so that's what influences me most. That's really cool. So, and I know a lot of people are always curious about artists and want to know, is art your full-time job or do you have a day job? Art is not my full-time job. I do have a day job. I am an arts administrator with a cult cultural facility here with the city of Jackson. Yes. <laughs> That's great. That's not a bad day job. <laughs> Exciting. So what else is going on in your world now? Are you exhausted from this past year and everything that's been going on? Are you excited about the exhibitions? Where are you now? I am tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired and invigorated. It's a good, it's a good place to be. While I have been working, you know, daily, um, on producing these works for the different exhibitions and shows, I at the same time feel so overwhelmed with gratitude because of the amount of opportunity that has come. Tired and thankful. <laughs> the two T's, tired and thankful. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So is your family artistic? Are you, are you a, a, was this a new part of your family for you to be an artist or is this run in the family? Mm, it's new for visual art specifically. Okay. My mom is a seamstress. Oh, wow. She used to like design clothes and make clothes for people when she wow. was younger. Um, my sister is a cosmetologist, which, you know, it's a hairstylist. Cool. Yeah, that's useful. <laughs> um, I have several um, relatives, cousins that are poets, um, some actors. Uh, my nephew is a singer and musician. Um, my niece is also a hairstylist, like her mom. <laughs> um, my brother draws and, you know, does illustration type type things. So I feel like there's a lot of creativity in my family, maybe not visual art specifically, but lots of different forms of art. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a ton of creative people. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. <laughs> yes. So do you have advice for our listeners that may be thinking about going to art school or pursuing arts or maybe parents that have kids that are interested in pursuing arts? What would your advice be to them? To students, uh, teenagers that are considering um, whether they want to go to art school, um, do it. If it's what you are really interested in and are passionate about, I don't care if you feel like you don't have, you know, the skills, you can learn them. If it's something you are really interested in or, and committed to, do it. The world is literally your oyster, especially right now. We have so much access to technology. You can literally do anything. You can learn anything. And if you have an act for it, if you have, you know, even just the, the, the tiniest bit of skill, do it. Because let me tell you, if I showed you my drawings... <laughs> From when I was in high school, <laughs> you wouldn't believe where I am right now. And parents, just support your children because my mom did. She never questioned it. Just be behind them 
What a gift. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Alexis, for joining us today. We we appreciate your time and so grateful to have you working here in Jackson as a visual artist. Can you let listeners know where to find you on maybe Instagram or a website? Yes, my Instagram is at Alexis McGrig. That's A-L-E-X-I-S-M-C-G-R-I-G-G. And my website is www.alexismcgrig.com. <laughs> this is Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.